The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Welcome to the third and, f- and the final hour of uh, the Talking Point here on SFM 104 to 107 Nationwide. It's Health and Wellness Wednesday, and uh, we're having a conversation today around the burden of disease and the effects of uh, the post-pandemic world. And the focus is on the, uh, the World Pneumonia Day, which actually took place on the 12th of November, and the World Society of Pediatric Infectious Diseases Congress convened from the 14th to the 17th of November Um uh, did I say the 12th of, yes, the 12th of November and the World Society of uh, Pediatric Infection Diseases Congress convening from the 14th to the 17th of November 2023 in Durban. Both of these annual events are reminders that infectious diseases are still a major health threat amongst us and thus vaccines play an important role in erect, eradicating and preventing many diseases, reducing the burden of illness and mortality. The the conference deliberated on research advances and developments within the field whilst exploring solutions for a post-pandemic world and how children in all markets can access affordable interventions which will lead to healthier and more productive lives. Professor Prakash Mohanjena uh, joins us on the line now. Professor Uh, Prakash is the head of pediatrics and child health at the University of Guazulu-Natal. Prof, good morning. Thank you so much. Perhaps let's start our conversation uh, at a baseline level around vaccines, because we know uh, how contentious an issue the whole vaccine discussion was around COVID time in our country. How do vaccines work to prevent diseases? Good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the listeners. Um, thank you for having me this morning at, on your show. Um, as a strong proponent of vaccines, I think uh, vaccines are one of the most important medical interventions that mankind has made. And I start off with a quote by a, the World Health Organization head who said, vaccines were the only intervention, only intervention, that was been able to eradicate, eradicate a disease. And that was smallpox. And we've got to some extent, some, we're getting close to polio and other diseases. But to answer your question directly, I would start off by saying a disease, an infectious disease is usually caused by a bug, an infection. And what a vaccine is, is basically taking components of that vac- of that bug and actually making it safe, and then administering it to a individual, preferably a child, uh, or depending on where the burden of disease is, and inducing that body, that child's body, to produce an immune response. And that immune response is meant to protect the child from further exposures to that particular pathogen. Now, this, this is the way vaccines work. And we need these vaccines to last for a long time. But many of them, with time, the, the, the memory of that particular protection wanes. And that's why we need to give boosters. A very important point is that when we actually prepare that pathogen, 
we make sure that it is extremely safe, that it doesn't induce the disease. And that's the whole research around vaccinology. Yeah. So, Prof, yeah. What, can so be, Prof what? what can be done to ensure that there is improvement, uh, particularly in South Africa's childhood immunization coverage rate? Uh, are we covering enough children when we immunize in our country? So that's a very important question. And I think uh, we were doing very well. One of the success stories of our democracy, and we don't talk about it enough, in 94, the government put a lot of energy into what's called the expanded program of immunization. And we did exceptionally well in, in, in improving the number of vaccine, uh, diseases we are protecting for and ensuring a lot of coverage was happening. Now, unfortunately, with the advent of pa- pa- pandemics, and we had the SARS-CoV-1 and CoV-2 pandemics, the because people weren't presenting to healthcare facilities, the coverage rates had dropped. And as your coverage rates drop, you then end up with becoming more susceptible to that particular thing, particular infection. Now, if you take it for an example, measles, we require a coverage of not 100%, but over 90% to protect the overall population. Because there is a concept that while we immunize 90%, we induce what is called herd immunity. The virus actually is within the community and that the attenuated virus, the virus that's not potent that causes disease, is circulating among communities and protecting the 10% that's not vaccinated. When we went to COVID, we dropped down from 90% to 78%, and that made patients more susceptible to many diseases. And you are seeing it now with the outbreaks of uh, measles, the outbreaks of whooping cough and the like. Now, how can we improve that? First of all, we must have, like we did in 94, there must be an unwavering commitment from government, from all healthcare players, and from the pharmaceutical industry, and from the community. The community must demand for vaccines because this is one of the life-saving interventions that can change the outcome for their children. At the same time, we also need to make sure that the mechanism by which we deliver these vaccines, and we call that the health systems, the clinic, the, the cold chain, delivering the vaccine from the manufacturer to the clinic, making sure that there are actual consumables to deliver it to the patient are all in place. And so it's a multitude of factors that we require to put into place to ensure that we improve coverage. And the most important thing, since we had the challenges around COVID and the issues around miscommunication, is to provide clear concepts of communicating the values of vaccines. And this is best seen in how uh, we've actually been able to eradicate diseases. You know, when I go back to my own personal experience, we had a hospital in in Durban called Clarewood, where we put all these infectious diseases cases, they call them because they can transmit from one patient to another. We had them in isolation wards. And because of the power of vaccines, we actually closed that hospital down for that purpose. We refashioned it for other purposes. So that's the power of vaccines. 
So, uh, Prof, what were some of the insights from uh, that uh, recent World Congress of the World Society for Pediatric Infectious Diseases? What came out? Yeah, I think there's some very, very exciting things that come came out from that meeting. And the most important is that there is a one the commonest disease infection causing pneumonia in children and adults is called respiratory syncytial virus. I'll just say that slowly. It's a virus that affects the lung and it causes damage in the lung. Now, until now, in we haven't had a good vaccine against this, this particular pathogen, virus. And the latest literature now has shown that there is a vaccine that's been licensed for adults over 65, and it's also been shown to be beneficial to be given to pregnant women to prevent this infection, which is quite fatal and has serious morbidity in the naught to six month age group. So we've got an intervention that can be actually re- reduced. One of the commonest disease, we're talking about millions of people, uh, you know, that there's 3 million people that are admitted with this virus into hospitals every year. And there's 33, uh, 33 million people, uh, 330 million people that have this virus every year. And so we've now got an intervention against it, which is a vaccine. The second thing we've also got, which is another type of intervention, which can protect the pregnant mother and the baby from this virus. So that's the first major intervention we've actually introduced. The second one is that there's also the new vaccines with pneumococcus. Now, pneumococcus is the commonest bacterial cause of pneumonia. And we now, although we've probably, everyone's heard about it and have got pneumococcal vaccines, there are 92 different types of pneumococcal vaccines, serotypes we call it. And what they have now shown is that they've been able to expand it from the normal 13 types that we have in the vaccine that your or my child would have got to now 20. And there's plans to even increase it to 31. Hmm. And the research is showing that those are the serotypes that are now responsible for deaths. There's been a fantastic study which looked at all deaths in children and looked at what was causing these deaths by looking at post-mortem studies on these kids. Mm. And one of the commonest causes, 45% of these patients were dying from pneumonia. And the commonest bacterial cause was the pneumococcus, but not the ones that were in the vaccine. It was the ones that were not in the vaccine that they are now deciding to add into the vaccine. The two big interventions that have been shown. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, speaking of children then, Prof, what are the repercussions? Should there be no improvement in the number of childhood immunizations? Wow, that is what we're seeing now where we're struggling with. And uh, I'll give you the typical example. We all know about the cholera outbreak in Zimbabwe. We've Mm -hmm. heard about that in the news. And uh, that is part of the reasons when you don't improve your vaccine in terms of coverage, but also in terms of additional vaccines into the program, you end up with outbreaks. And those outbreaks have significant uh, you know, adverse effects. They, we've had a measles outbreak. You've all heard about the measles outbreak mm-hmm. in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And 
The consequence of that is significant in terms of mortality, because these are not innocuous infections, and mobility. These children don't just, even if they survive, they end up with a poorer outcome in the long term. They have, you know, effects in terms of learning, effects in terms of their lung, in terms of their brain, if they get complications associated with that. So, so the important point is that if we don't improve our vaccination coverage, we will start opening those hospitals that we previously closed down because we're going to see large number of cases and they're going to be needing treatment and they're going to require to be actually isolated because they themselves can transmit to other children who are not adequately immunized. So yeah. the one important thing, there's a problem to the individual child, but if you don't immunize, it also affects the entire community and we call that indirect effects of non-vaccinated. Yeah, it's quite fascinating to me, uh, you, you know, that we, we live in a country where, uh, for example, a lot of people still give birth at home and end up feeling no need really to get their children uh, immunized for anything. And uh, I, I like the point that you're making about the fact that it doesn't only impact the child who gets immunized, but it impacts uh, the other children that, um, you know, the, the, the immunized or not immunized child is surrounded by uh, you know the repercussions should a child not receive required vaccines because we also know for example when when a baby is young uh, most uh, clinics and hospitals will give you a chart and there's specific vaccinations that the child have, have to get and they work better if the, the child has received all of them collectively but sometimes you'll find you know because of issues of economic disparity in our country some people will say well they got the this one they didn't get this one because I couldn't afford to get to the uh, clinic on that particular day. What are the repercussions mm. if the child does not receive all the required vaccines? I think this is a very important point. I think um, let me just explain a little bit here. Mm. You know why we require to give those many vaccines when the baby is very small. Mm -hmm. um, the first important thing is in a young child. In the first three years of life, the immune system of the baby is not fully developed. It's mm. developing still. Mm. Even though baby is born, the immune system is still growing in its as the baby is growing. Mm. So when you give that first vaccine at six weeks of age, your immune system has a response, but it doesn't have a, a massive response because the soldiers that it's trying to stimulate to protect itself haven't been formed yet. Yeah. And so you require a second dose because when you give the first dose at six weeks, you find there's some response. And why do we give it at six weeks? Is because the burden of disease is very high in that young child. And if they get the disease in that young child, they die because they don't have the soldiers to protect them. Yeah, yeah. So we give a second dose to get the 10 week to give them a bigger boost and then a 14 week vaccine to give them a better boost, by which time we say now they have got enough protection to protect against this infection. And then we know that it wanes with time, so we give another boost at 18 months of age. So the first important point is that we, if you give a vaccine later on, like in adults, we don't need to give three or four. We only give one because the immune system is already developed. And we call that first call, it's the primary immune response with the booster. Mm. Now, when you actually 
don't get your full dose of vaccines and you only had one and say at six weeks and then you get exposed to that particular infection, let's call it this pneumococcus, yeah. at, um, at that point, say at six months, you're not fully protected. And therefore, you get the disease. You might get it slightly less, but you'll still get the disease. And in some cases, it might be severe and you can get meningitis. Uh-huh. So a lot of the cases where we find that there's breakthrough on patients who've got disease despite the vaccination is that they've been incompletely vaccinated. So instead of having the two doses of the pneumococcal vaccine, we only get one dose or we take So it's a matter of making sure that we get adequate doses to protect you so that you have the appropriate immune response. So incomplete vaccination is is not what we we aim for. And in fact, if you've forgotten to go, you don't be scared to go to the clinic. Please go to the clinic. There is a mechanism for us to catch up those vaccines that you've missed and to make sure that your baby is protected. So don't think, oh, you know what, I didn't go, therefore they're going to shout at me. No, it's not Mm. that. The clinics are well versed with saying, look, you had a challenge at that time. You couldn't come to the clinic. We will try and make sure that we protect you by giving you the vaccine, recommencing the schedule if you only had one, or to modify the schedule if you've had more than one of these vaccines. Yeah. I said when, uh, Prof, when we started our conversation that, you know, what the pandemic also did was bring to question for a lot of people who were non-believers in uh, uh, vaccines, uh, the value of, of vaccines, even in um, children. Let, let's talk about, uh, or let's talk to those people who started to question vaccines at that time, particularly when it relates to children, who say, you know, our children were one raised um, obviously uh, long ago in times where they never needed to go to uh, clinics to get vaccinated it would be you know certain foods that would give them that would strengthen their immune system you know some 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 people went as far as going there when they were pushing for their anti-vaccine stance are you finding also that post the pandemic are people uh, with children more or less inclined to vaccinate? I think we are we we are getting back to where we were. Uh, there was a period when the COVID, at the height of the COVID, when there was a lot of of, of controversy around the vaccine itself. The feeling that maybe they are it was too quick. The vaccine was produced. Or maybe that they are trying it out on people that mm. they, you know, they had lots of myths around the vaccine, and that created uh, this doubt of people that vaccines are effective or not. The good news is that we we have not got back to where we were before, mm. but the recent survey uh, showed that we are improving. From seventy eight, we've gone to around eighty five percent coverage for, we often talk about it, that first year is the most important period because, uh, you know, it's that's the time when the child's immune system is still developing. And if yeah. you don't get the vaccine, you have a lot of, of disease and death as well. So, so there is a, an improvement, but we still feel that there is a large proportion across the globe, not just in South Africa, that COVID has negatively impacted on the coverage that we're supposed to get. Uh, We call them the missing unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. And that number has increased uh, substantially from the pre-COVID days. 
but we are getting we we narrowing that gap as we go along. So, so I think the answer to your question is how do we handle these these issues around people who have hesitancies? Yes. The first important thing is to actually tell them the first is the value of vaccines. It's no point my opinion is to give positive messages. I think we often you know trying to fight rhetoric. Um, you know, people having an opinion, oh, my cousin had this experience with the vaccine, so I'm not taking it. But, you know, when you go back to the to the history of vaccination and you start off with uh, Edward Jenner in the early days and the ability to remove, to get rid of smallpox, to not see children who are limping around with poliomyelitis, to not have children filling the ICUs with tetanus, which is a disease where they, you know, they cut the umbilical cord with a, a unsterile blade and you get a bacteria that goes in. This is the power of vaccination. And the latest move in terms of vaccination is now we recognize that if we vaccinate pregnant women, we can actually protect their babies from yeah. this because as I told you, that the highest risk is in the young child. In fact, the deaths are occurring in the north to six months of age group. The diseases are highest in that proportion. And because we, when we give the vaccine at six weeks or 10 weeks, we feel it's too late because a lot of them have got the disease already. Mm. We actually now immunizing against the tetanus that I spoke about in the pregnant woman. So the mom transfers from her uterus, from her placenta across to the fetus while the baby's inside her to protect the baby, even if she's, the cord is cut with a unsterile. So it's, there's a protection there up front. Yeah. And that's very important. Not that we advocate anyone to have uh, unsterile deliveries or BBAs. We all encourage people to come to hospitals and clinics, but you know, in the, in the unfortunate situation where you fall into labor and you can't get transport and you're actually in a difficult situation, because you're vaccinated, you're already protected. And the, the government has already changed the policy to actually not just include the tetanus and the bacteria that we had previously, but now the new recommendations that are starting from the January this coming year is they're going to give... That, like I spoke about tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, because we found a lot of children between naught and three months of age dying of this disease called pertussis. So we are immunizing the mums now against this to protect the baby. Yeah. Against it. Let me ask for indulgence, Prof. I have to go to the news headlines and then we'll talk measles and pneumonia uh, when we come back. It's 11.31. Luanda Maoma is standing by with the news headlines. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. 11.33, 11.33, the burden of the disease and the effects post-pandemic and what the future holds in our uh, health and wellness segment. And we're talking vaccinations and children uh, because World Pneumonia Day took place on the, twi- on the 12th sorry, of November and the World Society for Pediatric Infectious Diseases Congress convened from the 14th to the 17th of November in uh, Durban. And Professor Prakash Mohanjena is uh, head of pediatrics and child 
Child Health at the University of Guazul Natal. He was our guest. Um, let's talk about... Um, measles and pneumonia, uh, particularly in relation to the vaccination of children, what the dangers are if uh, you don't get your children vaccinated against measles and pneumonia, Prof? It's a very important thing. You know, I've lived through massive measles outbreaks in 1988 and between 1988 and 1992-92. And during that time, when I spoke previously, I told you about this hospital we had. And we had two major big wards of around 30, 40 patients each uh, with children with severe measles and pneumonia. And they died. We had about a 10% mortality at that particular time, despite all the fantastic treatments that we had. Uh, This was prior to the you know, the expanded program of immunization that was jacked up after the democratic process. And, you know, the good news is that since nine, since we've introduced the measles vaccine and we've done it so vigorously, uh, we actually have been able to prevent those type of outbreaks. However, as you, you would recognize that when you fall short in your coverages, you then have a problem with measles rearing its ugly head. And in order, we found that what we found was that in the HIV population of children who were infected during the 2000s, that the measles was acquired much earlier. And so that's why we made the measles vaccine at six months rather than the traditional uh, nine months. And because I told you previously that you know, the younger you give the child the vaccine, the immune response is not so great. You require a second dose. We then require to give a second dose of measles at 12 months of age. And that's the current recommended routine immunization. Now, if you're failing to do that routine immunization, in order to keep up with a coverage of over 90%, if you want to protect and prevent an outbreak, we need 90% of our children to be vaccinated. If we are sitting at 67 or 78 percent, then there is a susceptibility. And this is where we are at the moment. And that's the reason for these outbreaks that we are currently seeing in young children. So what we need to do, what people then do is call what is measles campaigns. So besides that routine immunizations that you get at six months, at 12 months, when your baby is that age, what the government says all children between naught and 15 years of age, we're gonna choose a day and we're gonna come and vaccinate. And this is something very good to do. And I want to encourage our communities to go for these vaccinations. There are no harm associated with the vaccine and you basically are boosting your immunity that you got at six months and 12 months, or for those who missed the vaccines, will be able to get the vaccine at any age of that. So we call that the uh, mass measles campaigns, and that is the way we handle major outbreaks that we have. Measles is one of the commonest causes of pneumonia, and if you don't treat the measles, measles gives you the triple Cs, the CC, which is the the red eyes, which is conjunctivitis. They get cough and coryza. They get this red nose and, you know, the snuffiness, the three Cs. And what we are saying to you is that if you prevent measles, you're preventing pneumonia because 
the complication of measles is pneumonia. Yeah. The other point, yeah. yeah, the other cause of pneumonia is obviously the one I spoke about the two, which is the RSV infection and the pneumococcus. Okay, speaking okay. of uh, vaccination and children, we have a listener who's got uh, a question for you, Prof. Anonymous in Johannesburg, good morning. Hello, good morning, KG, Professor, and from the listeners. I just wanted to find out, actually I wanted to relay something to you. My son was born at seven months, uh, premature, and he was 1,1 kg. What actually hurt me the most was when I came out of the hospital, they didn't have BCG. So when he came out of hospital, he's vulnerable, he had blood transfusions, he was tiny. I had to run around everywhere, and as a first-time mother, it was very difficult because I didn't even know where to get this uh, PCG from. So I just wanted to find out to say, is there a way that maybe in the government hospitals they can improve on that? Because this happened, my son was born at Paraguayanas Hospital, and they did not have PCG. So I had to take my son to a, a private hospital just to get this, which took some time because a preemie child comes with complications. Mm. So it took some time for me to raise that money and go into a private hospital. The clinics didn't have anything. I, I, I went to, through a lot. Dealing with a, a, a preemie child is, is not a joke. And on top of that, my child had bronchopneumonia, he had chicken pox, he had measles, and measles was the worst of them all. Mm. So as I say, please, to all parents, I, I saw my, my first child with, with measles. It's it's not a joke. I think more campaigns should be done in creches everywhere, mother care, wherever. Mm. Children need to be vaccinated against measles. I saw it for myself. That is one thing that I don't wish for any child. Wow. I went through a lot. I, I And I appreciate, Professor, thank you. I think we should, this should be campaigned at every way, at, 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 at creches, at Maybe I'm not so sure that everybody needs to ensure their children get vaccination. Kids need to be vaccinated. But BCG must be the first priority in terms of vaccination everywhere in hospital. Yeah, thank you, Anonymous. And and I hope your child is okay now. Now he's fine. Now we're dealing with cancellitis. Oh. So, yeah, I think that should be the last stage. I hope and pray. Wow. But he's a big boy now. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for your call and, and uh, uh, sharing your experience with us. Prof, Prof, do you quickly want to comment on what Anonymous yeah. was talking I, about? I, I want to congratulate the Anonymous uh, because I think I, I'm really I'm touched that you went to that extent to get that BCG and to get the vaccines. You're absolutely right. It's 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 absolutely government's responsibility to ensure these uh, vaccines are available. Stockholds are not acceptable, and we we continually fight this at at national and uh, levels. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes they do run out, and um, it it should be the exception rather than the rule. Mm. Uh, but from my point, um, I want to congratulate the listener and to say well done on what you've said and that you went to that extent to get the vaccines yeah um, yeah yeah i think all all healthcare all mums please if you're not getting the vaccine don't sit back and say you know what it's all a stock it's fine it's not fine yeah try and go to another center or or raise up an issue with the minister uh, or whoever you can uh, it, it is absolutely essential that you get vaccinated. Uh, you know, these things are life-saving 
and we must push hard because it's the success story in medical science. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to leave it there, unfortunately, Prof, uh, because of time. But thank you for sharing uh, your insights and your knowledge. Professor Prakash Mohanjana, the head of pediatrics and child health at the University of Guazulu Natal.